Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is the other host, Jared. Jared. And Zach's giving off energy, so now I have energy. It's true. What's up, guys? It's me, Zach, here, and I'm going to become like an influencer. We have 500 people in this red circle, and the first one to leave gets a million dollars. But no, welcome back to Puzzling Company, guys. Uh, we are here in the Escape Mail studio. You should totally play an Escape Mail game if you haven't already. Jared, so nice to have you back for another episode. It you is. Know, it's, you're like a special guest, but on every episode. I just if, I feel honored that you continue having me here. And it I is can't find other people. It is really weird that you're bringing so much energy for such like a mellow game, right? Like the theme of the game we're covering today is like dreams dreams and like poetry and beauty yes. and not like yeah 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 but it's just it's fun okay <laughs> it's fun. yes welcome to a drift which is a puzzle tale by post curious so rita is giving us another awesome game to get to play but yeah we're really excited to get to cover this game stick with us we'll be back in the first section to give you our review of it Zach. Zach. What's up? Ever since we've gotten back from Boston, you've been spacey and some weird things with your voice have been going on. Okay. I go to get some donkeys and I bang a Yui and you're acting all weird now with me? That's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you have like this Southern Bostonian accent and I don't think that you're aware that you're doing it. I've always talked like this. No, no, you haven't. And okay, let, let's let's try something. I'm gonna remind you of something that you did before, boss, and like ask you a little trivia. Do you remember what the first murder mystery game on the podcast that we did? I remember some game that we did that was about Harvard. Was it about that? No. Okay. You remember anything else? Do you know what state that the murder happened? Yeah, it in? happened in Florida. Oh, are you talking about like the lovely city murder that happened? Yes. Like the killing affairs. That's game? what I'm talking about. But now you're not. Now you're talking normal. Yeah. What do you mean? Okay, uh, tell me what you liked about The Killing Affair. Oh, it's a really great game. It's like a murder mystery. It's episodic. You have to kind of figure out what happened on that day. It's a cold case as well. Um, but over, I think, five or six episodes, you get to complete it. Really fun game. And I know that at akillingaffair.com, they have other games as well. And I think they currently have a Jigsaw one that they just created. So really excited to see that. So you remember all of that. But if I told you maybe that the next game that we were going to play was about the New York Yankees, you would say... Oh, screw the Yankees. Go Sox. Well, welcome back to the first section of the show. This is where Jared and I get to do a review of the game, discuss what we liked about it, as well as what maybe could be some room for improvement for the game, if there was any, and just get to have a nice discussion. Now, uh, the room for improvement section, be clear, like we always do. It is not meant to dog the company or anything like that. We want to destroy them. Correct. <laughs> we want them to know how we want much to we are upset. Bury them. Yes. So they never make a game ever again. Yes, but it, it's just a good spot to kind of give good criticism. And, you know, we just want games to be as good as everyone else wants them to be, you know. Yeah. So jumping into the section, Jared, can you actually tell the nice people at home in their car, on their bike, out in the yard, mm. in the plane, in a train, 
Sorry, I just tried to rhyme. With a cane. Okay. Yes. Would you like to tell all those amazing people uh, what Adrift is actually about? Yeah, Adrift is this really great game. It is supposed to be narratively kind of a prequel to the next big post-curious game. And that really makes me chuckle because it's a two to three hour prequel, which only Rita would do. And I love that so much. Like... I'm sure this was meant to be a far less ambitious project and then turned into this beautiful like standalone game that we really enjoyed. But you are moving through a narrative that is very atypical of games that we've come. You're Mm -hmm. moving through this game that's very poetic. As always, the art content, which we'll talk about later, is very high. But you're journeying through these envelopes and then also these sealed bags. And you are working through this journey of dream interpretation And it kind of leaves you moving towards whatever big thing is coming next from Post Curious. Very, very beautiful game. And we're super excited to talk about what we liked because there's a lot to like with this game. Yeah, I'll actually kick it off if you're fine with it uh, about the likes for this game. So the first big thing we very much enjoyed about Adrift was the physical puzzles in this game. Yes. I would argue this may be some of the best physical puzzles for in a game like this. Yeah, in a tabletop game that we played. They were phenomenally well done. All the puzzles from Post Curious, we've always been very high praise of Post Curious, but the physical puzzles in this game were very well done. A lot of fun. There are multiple of them. It's not just one or two. I think we have like four big physical puzzles, and then there's a bunch of smaller ones as well throughout the experience. It was just a blast. It's really creative how they are able to create these solid physical puzzles that you can build or that are already kind of pre-built for you and to use these different outlets or different mediums that you're kind of given throughout the box because you're given these different like bags for different items or letters or envelopes. And it was just super fascinating to get to use these physical puzzles that are like sturdy and good product, but then also were solid puzzles and how they were used. And very creatively used as well. Like, again, Rita is a master of taking puzzles and elevating them in my opinion. So it wasn't that new puzzle types were invented in a drift. It was clever usage of traditional puzzle types amped up in a way that we feel like she just does really well. So I'm looking at one at the table right now. It's a a mechanic you you probably use on a daily basis. But the way that she used it within the puzzle, the way that the item looks just really, really, really elevated it. And I agree with you. This is some of my favorite and best physical puzzles. I'm actually sad that I'm going to box up a lot of them and display the box, but the box is really great as well. And in my opinion, the game needed that since it was purely tabletop. There is no digital aspect to this game beyond the hint system. Yes. And once again, she just like knocks it off. And again, I'm laughing, but I'm laughing ironically. Like if this is the prequel... Like, so yeah, what is the actual big next post curious release going to be? Because if this is just the appetizer, I can't wait for the main course. Yes. Really, really, really phenomenal. One thing that I really liked about this game that I hope we can have more of a conversation about Zach later Mm -hmm. is the concept of teasing the content that you're about to play. Mm, Okay. So as I mentioned, a lot of this content is in envelopes, which is pretty par for the course. But then there are these four bags in the game. And I had a hard time puzzling with you because I kept wanting to get into the next bag. And that's that's something that you should know about this game. This game can be played non-linearly. Correct. Zach and I decided to tackle it linearly just because we really read his content. Neither of us really want to miss out on any of it. Yeah. 
So we really synced up and went through it. But what that allowed us to do then is, especially I'm thinking of one red bag in particular, I was like, I have to know what's in that bag. And we saved that one for the last. Yes. But it, it did a really good job of building anticipation, building expectation. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it was like one big surprise after the next one. Yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that we played it, just for if people want to follow along, we played this in the order of, was it yellow bag first? I honestly don't remember. I'd have to look at all the items. No, it was, we did blue bag. Okay. And then we went green bag. Okay. Yellow bag, red bag. Okay. Yeah, I, I, mean, I remember red guaranteeing being last. I remember green being either second or third. So yes. that sounds about right. I think that, I believe that is the path that we followed, but it, I, I liked it playing it in that order. Yes. To me, that was, that was really, really enjoyable. But yeah, I like that because like so often you can either see all of the components. It's in an envelope. So you know what you're about to get as paper. But with this type of very basic, it was like, you could feel it, you could touch it, but yep. you were like, what is in here? I'm dying to know what is in here. Yep. And that's why I'm such a huge proponent of give me good physical components in games. Yep. I want to play with them. I want to manipulate them. I want to solve them. And it gives me something excited about, I, well, I'll play a million games of content that's in envelopes, right? Yep. I'm not upset about it. But this game really stepped it up in building anticipation and, like I said, teasing content. Yep. What else do you really like about this game? Yeah, I mean, the other thing we really enjoyed about this game, which most post-cures games have this, is amazing art design. Yes. I think on the box, I think it's Amelia uh, Leonard's. Um, I said that wrong, and if I did, I very much apologize. But they did such a good job with the art style of this game. You get the different bags. You have different small art styles on the puzzles themselves. And then also there are these photographs that will be introduced into the game that are very much drawn and painted and stuff. And they're so well done. I believe you've installed one. I do have one. Yes. I, I actually <laughs> took it because I actually really liked it. So I'm going to get it probably in a frame and hang it up. Cause I, I thought it was really cool. I mean, they're it's all beautiful. really they're, well they're, done, they're all but that's what she does so well is as a, as a lead designer, like taking someone else's art and infusing it with that puzzle content and then making like even the items, like you could have done these a different way, but making the items look like they fit with the picture that you're dealing with. Yeah, like the puzzle masking is just so well done in terms of that. Some of these items, like you said, are very simple. Like I could find these at most games. But because of how the art style and how it was designed, it fits so naturally into the the world that is adrift. Yeah, that's really true. This is a beautiful prequel. We're very excited to talk with Rita to see what is coming next what the next big post-curious game is, as I'm sure all of you. And just a note about this game, I don't believe this game is actually going to be released on Kickstarter. This is going to be something that comes directly from the post-curious store, and we'll mention it at the end of the show, but just be ready for that. And then I believe the upcoming release will follow the trend of going back and being a big Kickstarter campaign. So really, really awesome, really, really great game. Let's talk a little bit about room for improvements in this game. And if if you don't mind, I'll, I'll kick this one off. Okay. I struggled a little bit connecting with the narrative mm. of this game compared to Emerald Flame, compared to Light in the Mist, Light in the Mist yeah. which I both really enjoyed. But this narrative is presented very different. Sure. Like I mentioned earlier from other games to the point where it's very poetic. Mm-hmm. It's very 
we're talking dreams and dreams aren't straightforward. So it's, it's presented that way. Yes. And I think you leave this game wanting, which is the purpose. But at the same time, I still want to connect enough with the game to get, know, like I could tell you the plot and this game yeah. was just a little more free flow is what it felt like. Yeah, no, I, I think it's phenomenal for what it is, but I could understand and agree with that. If this was like a one-off, like if you played this and you didn't play the next game yes. leading to, it is kind of, meant to kind of leave you on a hanger to know what's going to happen next or kind of gain more info about the things you do learn. I think the things you do learn are intriguing, though, but it is a narrative that is kind of more just like, oh, we're going to kind of give you some details that kind of want to hook you in and then you just have to wait. But some of those details are cool, but they're not enough of a hook yet. Absolutely. But I but I love I mean, the art style of it and what it's trying to lead towards, I'm really excited for because it gives me a I don't want to spoil much. But it, it gives me a, a movie, an old like 80s movie that I really liked um, mm. style. And so I'm very intrigued to see where this leads to. I think I'm just a crappy English major. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of my problem. And when the primary means of understanding the story is in a poem, I'm like, give me the, the what <laughs> I almost said the Snapchat version. But back <laughs> back in the day, we had the uh, the abbreviated versions of books. And, and yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Those little yellow books that you could buy. And it would like give you the highlight points. I can't remember what those books are called. I feel like I know what you're talking about. Uh, Something notes. Cliff notes. Cliff notes. The cliff notes. The cliff notes version of it. I think I could have appreciated the cliff notes version of this narrative. But again, that doesn't stop me from being excited about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit different. I don't even know if I would call it a room for improvement, just something to be aware of. Yeah. I mean, you have to know that this is a setup game. So if you're wanting a conclusion fully to the narrative, it does not happen. It sets up Absolutely. the next game. If uh, immersion is being dunked in water, this is putting your first foot in, Yeah, is what I would say, into the pond. So we really don't have a whole lot else to tease out here. We had one puzzle that we had to ask the creator about, but I think we made the error on that. I believe we did, yes. Um, a puzzle that happened in the blue bag. So not super sweating that either. Really, really great, beautiful game. Again, just chuckling at a prequel that is two to three hours. Like, that just cracks me up. Hang around, though, with us. We have Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, and the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape-the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are here now in the middle section, which we call Puzzle to the People. And today we're talking about another puzzle-related topic as it pertains to game design, which is what we usually like to talk about here in the middle section. And Zach, I want to go back to what we talked about earlier in our first section where we talked about teasing content Mm -hmm. um, or setting players up for excitement. There's a number of different ways, phraseology, that you could describe about this. Why is this an important mechanic that we like to see in games? Or should this be in every game is another question we should talk about. Uh, I think teasing content 
is important. I mean, obviously, in a game like this where it is meant to be a prequel to a main series that a company is trying to make, you do have to set up the other game quite well with giving them enough of a hook to keep them enticed in it. But it was really cool. I mean, this game did a phenomenal job of doing that, where I felt like I was excited to see what other content they could do in a longer experience from Post Curious. But I mean, there are other games that I don't think it needs like a tease for other content. Because the hard part is not every game that we're going to play is going to have a sequel. You know, some do. But if you said like, as an example, I'm just going to use this as one. If like you played The Messenger and originally when they built The Messenger, they don't have plan for a second one. Why tease content for a game they don't actually play? Or what could be more unfortunate is that you tease a game that doesn't come out. But I'm even talking about teasing content inside a game. Yeah. Right. Like I, I get the, yeah, you want to play to the next game or whatever, Sure. but I'm even talking about like, you know, you're going to get to this within a game, but how do we amplify that? Think about our escape room experience. Think about all of these different things. What are some of the ways or principles that you think that can help elevate by making players want to get to the next step? Okay. So like, let me give you an example. This is going to be a little dated example, and I know I'm, I'm late to the party on this. Okay. Just started playing Breath of the Wild. Yep, you're late to the party? Yeah. <laughs> I am late to the party. But in that game, you start in an area adjacent to, like, Ganon's castle. Yes. You cannot run there in the first hour of the game. You're gated. Yeah. But it's visible. Right. So you're being teased into, I can't get to this yet, but I know that I really want to, like you want to get in there Mm. and eventually throw down and, you know, kind of reclaim that. Right. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. It's, it's allusions to things that are coming in the future. And I felt that a lot with this game because I knew I wasn't supposed to open the bags yet, but just looking at them, I knew there was more than average content inside of them so as you kind of think through that where do you see this in the different mediums that we play maybe some specific examples as you kind of look at our wall and what do you think are some good principles that can help creators or even players to increase enjoyment around these types of areas no no that's that is a great question so i think it depends on the medium for sure so i think in the at-home space like you said kind of having really unique containment items so like bags or including like a physical puzzle or some like intriguing note that has a wax seal is a lot of like design can carry a lot in terms Mm. of like your interest and looking at it like i know even in escape rooms like we'll play a game and i'll see this gigantic electronic board on the wall that clearly has a lot of info and like a lot of buttons you can press and you're like oh that's gonna be kind of interesting see what that does or some mechanism in the room that you're like oh i'm gonna mess with this and this is gonna be dope you know, like in the game's linear, but you see that like actually example, being honest, the game, this game, I didn't enjoy the most, but we played a game when we played uh, an escape room in Kentucky and there is a gigantic wall of different metal parts just mm-hmm. hanging there. Yes. And I could tell that it was meant for a puzzle. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I know we'll eventually mess with it, but I can't mess with it now. And I was just so excited to see that eventually go off. So that's the point when you did get there, we're like, oh, yes, we get to finally do this. And it's so enticing that it like it just sits there and marvels. Like, just like how you said, like in Breath of the Wild, you can see Ganon's castle like across the way, but you just can't get there yet. In the at-home space, like I said, I think a lot of it is specifically just creating really good materials that kind of entice you to it or 
give them something in the background, especially if there's like a digital element that kind of shows them like things are about to happen and you're about to get really excited or including narrative pieces that kind of spice it up to that point. Video games, it's kind of just like you said, it's kind of just showing people what's potentially about to come or giving them like a tease at like new things they'll be able to do. So one of the coolest things I think some games do is showing you new abilities through other people or through how mm. other things do it before you can before you're... you can do it and you're mm -hmm. like oh that's really sick i hope i get to learn that ability with my character and then you eventually get to and you're like oh, this is so cool i finally get to use this crazy like shockwave ability that this character has you know i just had to wait to see it so there's a lot of really cool things i don't have honestly the best advice on how to achieve that showing it off like almost giving it its own place to just go like, yeah, that's the stuff I made. That's my stuff. Like you go like Rita, if it was like post curious with these envelopes is like, or with these baggies goes like, yep, that's my baggies I created. You're going to want to open them. Good luck. It's pretty cool. When I thought through this, I, I think one of the key tenants, and we talk about this uh, all the time is like the gating, but making gates transparent. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like, I'm going to show you that you can't get into this yet, but I'm also going to give you a little peek behind the curtain to let you know. Yeah, that makes what, sense. So I think transparent gates are hugely important into teasing people. Like when you look at a skill tree in yep. like an RPG and you can, you know, like you said, you can go ahead and look and say like, I get to learn what <laughs> if I build this out? And what it does is I think it covers up a lot of the mundane aspects of games. Yes. Because now I've got my sight set on like, oh, I, I have to get that move or I have to get that item or yeah. so forth and so on. It's this momentum increaser to get you from point A to point B. So invisible gating, I think, is super important. You brought up one in escape rooms. I think big things are engaging big things that you can't necessarily always grab immediately. And I think another way you can do this is in marketing, right? A lot of people in escape rooms or in tabletop, they'll take pictures of something. Yep. And then you see that and you're like, oh, I want to do that. But then what happens, you inevitably get into a game and you're like, well, where's that thing? Yeah. Right? Where, where is that thing? Like in the, in the game that Zach is talking about that we played in Kentucky, that contraption is not in the first room. Correct. But you can see it on their website. Yes. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh, heck yeah. Like, I want to go play that game because I want to interact with that. Yes. So I think vision of said item, skill, whatever, mm -hmm. is super important. And I yep. think it's something that more people should lean into. Like, don't hide the good stuff let me see the good stuff, but just don't give me access yet. Yeah, and that's actually the really interesting part of it because I think for us in like the escape room world, I felt like for a very long time, and mind you, you felt this way more than I did, but it felt like most places hid all their secrets. They did. Because the point was that like, oh, well, like the curiosity will sell itself, you know, but then you realize like, oh, well, people won't buy it if they have, no like we'll have people who come to play escape rooms and they'll be like, oh, well, I just saw the name of it. I have like, they go in the room and it's not what they expect, you know, but if you show them a picture of the inside of high noon, you know, or the inside of our blind pig room and our Murphy's escape rooms location, then you go like, oh, that door that I've been looking at this entire time, or that's where the like gun cabinet that I've seen in that room. Like I get to do something potentially with it. Like that's cool. It gets you really excited to, you can tease people with content in escape room without spoiling the puzzle. Absolutely. It's and, possible. And that's the thing. Like, just show me the puzzle apart from itself or don't show me all of the elements. I have no way of knowing yeah. 
knowing what you're going to do whatsoever. The other thing that I think is really interesting, and I experienced this recently playing Hollow Knight, is building anticipation by, and we've talked about the inverse of this, so I'm not advocating for whatever, but by not showing the amount of progress that you've made in a game. So in Hollow Knight, which is a very difficult game to fully complete, they don't show you their percentage of completion until you've beaten the quote unquote final boss yep. the first time. And I was shocked. I don't even want to say it out loud when I finished. I was like, I've completed what? Like I've completed what percentage of the game? You thought you had done a lot. I thought I had done a lot. I had not done a lot, yep. right? Like, and I had put some hours into it too. Not like, oh, I'm here I am at four hours, right? Like, uh, and it just kind of was like, oh, there's like, so much to do. There's so much to still do. And, and, and I think that's, that's a great way. But what's difficult about that is in a video game, you can't see the entirety of what you're working with. Yeah. When we picked up a drift, we knew all the contents were going to be in this box or potentially there was going to be some type of online system, right? Yes. So I want to revisit an old game real quick and talk about why I think this game was so important to tabletop. Box one. Box one was filled with intriguing elements yes. that I think did the very thing that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Agree or disagree? No, I agree. It enticed you with elements in the game, and then it gave you a lot of things you still had to kind of discover, and it gated some items so that you could see it, but you couldn't deal with them yet. It did it phenomenally. Like I really enjoyed all of the content that was box one in terms of it teasing everything that's coming forward. Yes. I'll even throw out the game of last episode, Lost in the Shuffle. When you get into their UI and you can see... It teases what's coming, yeah, like all the things you're about to and do. And you can see all that you haven't done for most of the game. Mm-hmm. You're like, there's no way. But I was like, oh, game on. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I just think it's important because I think what's not super engaging in terms of teasing and doesn't mean it's a bad game is like, envelope to envelope to envelope because you know at some point what's going to be in there sure yeah right so i guess a question to you then is is teasing ever a bad thing maybe some ways that you've seen done it poorly if you've seen it done it poorly or is this just a bonus like is is this something that all creators should strive for or should this just be some icing that you can work towards I feel like teasing content generally is good if done well. But it's, this is any topic we discuss. Like, if done well, good. It doesn't need to be teased super much in most of the at-home games, depending on the style of game. Like, there's only so much you can do with, like, puzzle hunts to a degree. Mind you, that's mostly digital. But you kind of, the, the, the enticing element of that is that you know there's a lot more to go or the, the things you don't know about the experience. Yes. You know, with tabletop games, specifically like a Drift or Box One, I think you have to. To keep you enticed and to keep going into more and more, you need to have elements of like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I need to see what's next. You know, we've played some games where it it is mostly physical. Like, you get a box. Literally, like, Root of All Evil. Perfect example of a thing that made me want to open it the moment I saw it. Yep. Like, just like, that makes me want to immediately open it up and try to figure out what's all in there. And Absolutely. then when I did, you're like, you find all these different things. You're like, oh, I can mess with this, and there's this, and there's this jewelry, and that, you know, like... You're like, I want to mess with all this now. But you're like, okay, I need to like focus on step one of the 50 yeah. or whatever I think, is. And I think puzzle boxes are great. But but what you brought up with that is like exactly what you said. You see this moss-covered box, and then we couldn't get it open immediately. 
So then you're like, oh, I need to open. This. I need to open this, right? And, and you're and you're teasing it. And and I think, I think this is another element of teasing is difficulty. Yep. Right along the path, difficulty. Right. Mm-hmm. If I could just run to Ganon's castle, what was the point of teasing? We're talking about building excitement, building anticipation. So it's like seeing it, but not having a route there. Yeah, I, and I know a lot of video games do this where you'll see the big bad like messing with you the entire time and it's really cool to be like, I'm going to say WoW examples because World of Warcraft is something I played for a lot of time in my life, but like certain raid bosses and certain raids are really cool because they're basically teased to you the entire time and then the whole expansion wants you to know them. You yes. know, like Wrath of the Lich King actually is not as a classic mode, but the Lich King himself is, if not the most popular and well-known that's character how, that's from how World old of you are. Yeah. Which I, I like that game. I mean, I was young when they came out. Anyways, that character, when you do Ice Crown Citadel, which is its raid. So this is a, people who don't know, raids are content where you have multiple people who all go together and it's basically like a big dungeon. Like yeah. a really big dungeon. It takes hours. 20 to 40 people all fighting together. Yeah. So you are going through it. And so as you're doing it, you meet the Lich, like before you even do it, you've met the Lich King multiple times. He basically teases you. And as you're going through the tower, he's talking to you while other things are going on that are teasing him. And then all you know is if you stare straight up Ice Crown Citadel, you just see the frozen throne as well as you just mm-hmm. stare up and see where he's standing. And you're like, oh, I have to get up there. Like, we have to get up there. And then you take multiple means necessary of different vehicles, transportation, traveling, tra- transporting to get to him. And then you finally get to him and you're like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I, that made me think of like every Mario game. Yeah, like, true. Yes. Yeah. Bowser, 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 Steel Princess, like. Yep. Okay, like that's the big bad. Let's let's throw down with him, you know? Yep. I just think it's super important because people want to know what they're heading towards. Yes. I think they sh- they want and expect a journey filled with obstacles. I mean, we're talking about the core fundamentals of games right now, right? Yep. And then the payoff, that's the last part of it. What's behind that gate has to be good. Yeah. In today's game it was. When we got into most of them, but that red one we picked up that object slash objects and we were very much intrigued with what was ahead of us. It's on my desk. So, and I think that's the inherent risk of teasing yeah. is you've got to, you have to make it pay off. You have to make the payoff worth it. Yeah. Like it, it has to all be worth it at the end or else you're just chucking your players off a cliff yeah. that you've walked Agreed. them up of. I think focusing on some of those things will really can really amplify games because you want built anticipation. Like you want that excitement and then you want it to lead to something worthwhile. Agreed. I saw that in this game. I see that in a lot of the games that we play, but I do think there is more room out there to creatively show me something, make me want it and say, you can't have it. Yeah. You can't have it yet. Right. Like that's, that's what's so much fun. I think there's even room to experiment with that more in escape rooms. Oh Um, yeah. Because escape rooms, in my opinion, plays on like, secret anticipation sometimes like mm-hmm. you hope there's a secret door the gating is not always clear right yeah. more so in the marketing than it is in the gameplay yeah right i think tabletop should have more upfrontness in the marketing to show me glimpses things yeah. get me get me intrigued and then then get me into the game fair all right that's really going to wrap us up for this section we have questions for creators coming at you next here in the escape mail studio puzzling company there are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey everyone, Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. 
We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Welcome back to Puzzle Company. We are now here in the third section of the show that is questions for creators. In this section, we get to talk to the amazing people who create the games, uh, help contribute, produce and get these games out there to you lovely people. Today, we have the amazing Rita Orlov on to discuss and talk about Adrift. So I don't want to say too much yet, but uh, we're going to jump right into it. So tell us your name and uh, tell us what you've been up to since last time we did an interview with you. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's great to be here as always. Uh, my name is Rita Orlov. I am the creator of Post Curious and I make uh, narrative tabletop puzzle games. I think the last time I was on, we were talking about, actually, I'm not even sure if we were talking about Emerald Flame or Light in the Mist. <laughs> I think it was Light in the Mist, right? So since then I have, well, the, the game that is in the process of delivering right now is uh, my new release, Adrift. And that's what I've been working on since. So Rita, can you tell us a little bit about Adrift and why you decided to make it kind of a spiritual prequel to your next big game from Post Curious? Yeah, it sort of evolved in a weird way. So I the, the game that I've started to work on for the next sort of big release has been percolating in my mind for probably like three years already, but it's taken on many different forms in terms of the story. And I finally landed on a story sometime, I guess, late last year as I was working on Adrift. And it ended up involving the sort of nature spirits and this kind of invented mythology. And I was working on Adrift at the same time, and it had a lot of similar themes. And then it kind of just made more sense to connect them and make them part of the same world. So it originally wasn't meant to be a standalone experience, but I realized that what I was doing was really feeding into the ideas that I had planned out for the next project. And I was going to call it Adrift a uh, poetic puzzle tale, but <laughs> I thought that that might be confusing to people. And it actually developed a little bit through the artist that I ended up working with to create the illustrations for the game because uh, she was just an, uh, Amelia Leonard's is her name. Uh, she's an artist that I found 
and I just really liked her work. And I asked if she wanted to make some illustrations for a game, which is something she hadn't done before. And I ended up sort of looking through her artwork and using it as inspiration for some of the elements in the game. So the story kind of developed in a way that was inspired by her previous work. And so I didn't give her too much instruction on what to do. The illustrations are used in the puzzles, so there were certain elements that they needed to include, but I gave her a fair amount of free reign over what to draw. So it was pretty fun to kind of experiment with that and like both be, you know, have that back and forth with the artist and adapt the puzzles based on the result that she ended up creating. Rita, why did you decide to use the theming of dreams as well as like message slash art interpretation for Adrift and how it kind of leads into the next experience? Like I said, it started out as sort of being like a puzzle game that was told through poetry. And I was thinking of a, a way to kind of make that make sense with the character. Um, but also I, this is kind of a little remnant of the tale of Ord research when I first started designing games, but there was this whole thing about how it was like said that Odin could, you know, the Norse God could speak to people through dreams and would speak to them in poetry. And the evidence of this would be like people kind of reciting poems, even though they had no poetic experience or may have even been like illiterate. And I just really like the idea of something kind of appearing in your dreams and granting you a power or knowledge that you wouldn't have otherwise, which is sort of evidence of it being supernatural in a way, as opposed to just like seeing something in a dream. So this character is supposed to have made these illustrations of things that she saw in her dreams, even though she's not supposed to be an artist, just because there's this kind of otherworldly force that is making her create these visions so that she can try to make sense of them. One thing that I've learned from Post Curious is that physical components are key. In all of your games, you really enjoy and like using physical components as kind of a big or physical artifacts for the game in terms of connected to puzzles or as keepsakes. But why do you believe that physical components are very important to at-home puzzle games? Yeah, so my background is actually in 3D object design, and that was part of how I ended up getting into designing puzzle games. So when I was working on my first project, Tale of Ord, I really wanted to make it a tactile experience and include all kinds of props and artifacts. But it's also really important to me that those props are actually used in the puzzles and are not just kind of extras that are thrown into the game for theming. So I'm always trying to be very deliberate in how I'm designing those objects and how they relate to the other items in the game. But I think ultimately it's just a matter of, it's really fun to play with three-dimensional things because there's just so much more that you can do with it than you can with a piece of paper. And like, there's only so many ways to manipulate a piece of paper, but when you're dealing with 3D objects, especially if they're cut out in different shapes or can be made out of different materials. It just opens up a whole other world of possibilities and people really seem to enjoy playing with it. So I always have fun trying to come up with new ways to use 3D objects. And part of 
my goal for the next game that this one is sort of setting up is actually to figure out how to take flat things and make a really cool 3D thing out of it. Uh, <laughs> so that's so that's the next challenge. Rita, what's in store for the future of Post Curious? You can say as little or as much as you want. So currently I am in the process of making a second edition of The Tale of Ord. So right now I'm making some changes to it, both narratively and in terms of the puzzles. So hopefully it'll be a much improved version of the original game. And I'm hoping to put that on Kickstarter next year. And beyond that, I've started to work on the next sort of new game, which, as I've mentioned, will be sort of the spiritual sequel to Adrift, but it will really be its own its own different beast. And I'm really excited to to work to get to work on that a little bit more. But uh, it'll be a complicated project. And a question we like to ask everyone: What are some other games that you've been playing recently? If it's at home games, if it's card games, if it's tabletop, if it's video games, what have you been up to lately? So I haven't been playing a ton recently, but I did have the chance to play an early copy of On Circus Grounds and by Studio Stamp in the Netherlands. And that was a really great little mystery with a lot of very nice objects as well. I really enjoyed that. And otherwise, I've been playing some video games. I finally got around to finishing Portal, which is like a little bit late because that game's been around for a long time, but it took me a while to finally get back to it and actually get through it. And I also played a co-op game, which I think some puzzle people might like because I think it's really fun to play with another person. But uh, there's a game called It Takes Two. I don't know if you've heard of it, but... Yeah, it was it was a really great cooperative experience, kind of like the thing that I've been looking for for a long time. If anyone else is looking for a good co-op game, I'd give it a shot. So Poscurious is going to be at PAX Unplugged this year. We're going to have a booth. So if anybody is going to be attending the convention, please come by and say hello. I'd love to talk to you about puzzles. And we're also going to be part of a tabletop puzzle game panel on Friday at 530 p.m. at PAX. And it's going to have uh, myself, Jack, Fallows, who worked on The Light in the Mist with me, David and Lisa from Room Escape Artist, Michelle from Society of Curiosities, and Mark Larson from Trapped. So it's going to be really great panel lineup. Uh, so if you happen to be coming to PAX, uh, please come by. Rita, it's an honor to get to talk to you again and have you back on the show. We love to get to talk about post-curious games. If you are looking for a drift, you can actually go to postcurious.com and look and get yourself a copy of a drift. They also will be at PAX soon. So if you want to go see them at PAX, it'd be awesome to see Rita there. If you would like to support Puzzling Company, you can actually do a few different things for us. You can go and support us on Patreon. Uh, on Patreon, you can get there. You'll get access to our Discord, um, as well as other perks as well of getting episodes early without ads, so on and so forth. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great things going into the next year. Some other things you can do is you can go to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. We would super appreciate it. And the final thing is you can go to our social medias at Puzzling Company on Facebook as well as Instagram. And you can follow us on there and get new updates, especially going into the next year. And that's actually going to wrap up this episode of Puzzling Company. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode about Adrift. We are excited to get to talk about a new game next week. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company.
See you. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. Chipped Cassette Studios. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.